This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&A. It's New Year's Eve Eve, so I'm pretty sure that's enough time for everybody to get their questions in. Um, I'm kind of feeling a little under the weather, so hopefully I'll be able to do this, uh, you know, decently. But if I'm a little loopy, please cut me a little slack this week. And uh, if I don't get your question right, either DM me or re-ask for next week. But anyway, let's jump in and see what we got. First up, over on Floatplane, IB Bangin wants to know if I've heard of a place that does hands-on instruction with something like CRT repair. They've been recapping all their old consoles and have a few things like a Vectrix and a few CRTs they'd like to try, but they'd like to get some in-person education first. They've watched a lot of videos from the usual YouTube people, but would like to have something with computer repair stores or anything doing workshops in person. So that's a great idea, and right before the world shut down, that's something I actually was working on behind the scenes. So you know how every week I drone on about thank you for all the help, for all the behind the scenes efforts? That's one of the many things that I never talked about because it never happened. So that wasn't something I wanted to get people hyped up about, and there's no chance of that happening anytime in the next few years, by the way. So at least the one that I was a part of. So um I'd like to see something like that, but I think what might be a little bit more realistic is maybe panels at expos where people come in with pre-discharged CRTs just for whatever safety reason and show people how to work on stuff like that. Um, you know, I've been working with a few expos and uh, they've been really receptive to different kind of ideas and stuff. And one of the things that was always thrown around was like a modding panel, but the problem with that is you can't really do live mods there because any modder worth their salt would absolutely want to test them and burn them in for a few hours. And, you know, you could demo stuff like this, but you certainly couldn't just like take people's consoles from the crowd and do it right there. You know, I'm sure people have done it, but it, uh, you know, it's not a good way to go about doing things. However, bringing consoles or CRTs or whatever else to an expo, doing a demo in front of people, and then saying, you know, first of all, here's the safety precautions. Second of all, here's what we're doing. And now I'm going to go home and do this. You know, I think that would be a really great way to go about doing this stuff. And I think it's a good start. So while while the, any of the other stuff I'm working on is, is on hold indefinitely, uh, that's something that I would like to bring to a few expos. So, you know, uh, a lot of the crews that have worked on these expos have kind of filtered through as well. So I'm not really sure who's still there, uh, which ones are still wanting to do anything like this, but I'll try to make it happen as much as I can. But who knows with 2022, if, if any of this stuff is going to happen, I'm getting cancellations for stuff left and right. So we'll see what happens. But um, to answer your question in the short way, I don't know of any place that does this doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I just don't happen to know of it. And I'm, I don't know of any place that will exist except stuff like presentations, expos, and maybe something like a local store might have a, a presentation day or something like that. But if you own a store in the New York area, you know, and you want to do something like that, reach out. Um, maybe I could try to work with you on that. Uh, and if you are part of any expos, definitely reach out as well, because I'd love to work with people like Steve from RetroTech and many others to do exactly that. But we need to do it in a safe environment and we need to do it the right way, not just, you know, shotgun modding 
trying to blow through one in an hour for a presentation. You know, we want to make sure we do it right. Mike, who's not a porn star, wants to know if there's any automatic component switches other than the G-Comp switch that are worth considering. Given the part shortage, they're trying to figure out if they should pre-order one now, or if there's something else that might suit their needs better. Well, um, there's a couple of different ways to answer that. So the first of all, I guess the first and most direct way is if you're looking for up to eight inputs with two simultaneous outputs that handles stereo audio and component video and composite video, then definitely uh, pre-order that and just kind of have to suck it up and wait until the part shortage allows those to be made and shipped because it's designed by the retro gaming community for the retro gaming community to do all of the things that we often talk about. Now, if it's something on the on a different side of things where you're looking to do multiple stuff. So maybe you don't want two outputs. Maybe you want four or five, or maybe you want to mix S video composite RGB and component video, or, you know, maybe you want to throw VGA in there as well. Then you might want to look into an Xtron cross point and buy the different adapters that you would need to do it. And those are those big switches that used to be thousands of dollars that you could now get for hundreds or less, depending on the size and that's an excellent solution. Now, it's used older equipment, so obviously there's always the chance of capacitors going bad, damaged over the years, whatever, but they're inexpensive, especially compared to what they used to go for, and they're excellent solutions. Now, if you're thinking about it from a different perspective of like, well, I want a G-Comp, but what could I do now? I mean, you could obviously just swap cables out every time you want to play a console, it does get kind of annoying. That's still what I have to do here, but um, that's something you could do. You could also look into the Otaku manual switches. Uh, I don't know if there's a part shortage with those. I've heard people complain about shipping, but I know the company is still trying their best, so I'm not really sure what's up with them. Uh, that's That has two outputs for the RCA version, but you could only use one output at a time, and you can't even leave both of them plugged in at a time. So that's just something to keep in mind. And you could try to find older switches on eBay and cross your fingers. I've used Audio Authority. I've used Aten, A-T-E-N. Um, I've used quite a few brands that I didn't have any issues with at all. Um, but then again, I've used quite a few brands that I had tons of issues with when it came to video game signals. I didn't really have any issues with DVD players and stuff. So if you're going through, if you're using the Switch for like a DVD player, a PS2 or PS3, which, you know, generally outputs 480i, a standard TV signal, and a couple of older consoles, you might want to try one of those other cheaper ones first. But if your focus really is on a whole bunch of component video-based consoles of any resolution going into two outputs, I would really stick with the G-Comp. So it's expensive, but you get what you pay for. Alberics says they're in the CFL area. I don't know, Central Florida? I'm sorry, I'm not sure where that is. But they're in the CFL area, and they have five VGA CRTs that either don't work or have various issues. And they don't want to just throw them out and let them go to waste, because as we all know, if you have five of these things, there's a good chance that many of them have perfectly good parts that you could use for others. So they're really looking for anybody that I know that could donate them so if CFL is Central Florida, um, Alberix left their email address. I am not going to, to put it out on this podcast w with respect, of course. I mean that in a nice way. So if anybody, if CFL is Central Florida, then please let me know. And, um, you know, I could try to put you two in touch so that maybe if you're working on CRTs, you could pile these up in your basement and use them for parts. Um, 
Alberics also mentioned that one of them almost works, but has a tilted and shaky picture that gets distorted at resolutions above 480p. Uh, Now, I looked at the screenshot that they sent, and I think they're talking about foldover, but it's one of those things where if the CRT was still nice and bright, then I would just use it in 480p for something like the Dreamcast. And if not, then, you know, I don't know. But that's a good question, and I really hope that someday we can get a list of CRT recyclers that are people who actually recycle them, not just send them to e-waste, but who might strip, test the CRTs, strip them down for parts, you know, put a stock of these parts up. Because uh, that's, you know, the biggest difference between a hoarder and somebody who collects and repurposes things. You know, I'm sorry if I'm offending any hoarders out there, but a hoarder would take all five of these, stick them in their basement, and never use them. But they know that they're there and that makes them happy, but they would never pull it apart they never take the parts out now and somebody who collects this stuff for repurposing would know you know would keep a list and know exactly what they have and whenever they ran into an hp model 123 with a you know a weird issue or in perfect working condition but a worn tube they can say oh i have this exact same model and you know, let me just swap them so if you know anybody who who's a collector or a repurposer, but not just a hoarder who's going to end up on a TV show and all these things are going to go into a junk bin, uh, that would be a cool thing for us to keep lists of. And, you know, I hate keeping lists because that just comes with a bunch of responsibility, so hopefully somebody else could do it. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a cool thing, and I think that's something I would like to know the answer to. But if you're in the CFL area and that is Central Florida, Um, please let me know if you want these. I'll put you two in touch, and hopefully we could see stuff like this get repurposed. Because even if it's stuff like a completely busted-up CRT with a million hours that doesn't work in a really nice case, I guarantee you somebody's got a mint-condition one that was sitting by a window and all yellowed, so you never know. But a good question, and I have no real answer for you, but I hope to someday have one. Over on Patreon, there were a few people who had some thank yous and some well wishes for the holidays and some nice things to say. So I just wanted to tell all of you, thank you very much. Very often, I forget to thank people for when they put nice things in their question. I just get right down to the the nerdy. So I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you very much. Um, you certainly don't have to ever say thank you. Just ask your question, and I'm still excited to, to answer them. But thank you all very much. Whatever holiday that you celebrate, I hope you had a great time. And if you don't celebrate any at all, I hope you had a great time laughing at all of us who get stressed out over the holidays. <laughs> I don't. I'm pretty laid back about this stuff. But uh, yeah, just being silly and and wanting to say thank you as well. Josh Dilly wants to know if the satiator for the Sega Saturn, the optical drive emulator that plugs in the back, will work in a Victor V Saturn. I've never seen one of those in person. I've seen pictures. They look pretty cool. But I'm 99.9% sure that the answer to your question is, if it has a slot for the MPEG card, the satiator will work. You're definitely going to want to double check that. Um, I think there's a Discord, there's a main page, uh, and if anybody listening wants to comment who owns one of those and, and could confirm it does or does not work, but I'm pretty sure it does as long as it has the MPEG card. If it doesn't have the slot, the MPEG card slot. If it doesn't have the slot, there would be no place to put it, so you'd want to look into something else. 
but this is why I love plug and play solutions, because if you have a rare and interesting model, you might not want to pull out the CD drive. And even if you are crazy like me and you take out the drive and you put it in anti-static and put it in bubble wrap and save it in case you want to put it back to stock, you know, who knows what's going to happen to that. So I, I love the fact that the satiator could just plug right in back. And if you want to use it on another Saturn, you pop it out and you plug it in the other Saturn. So fingers crossed you have the MPEG card slot. And if you do, I, I think you're in luck. YROC was trying to use the RetroTINK 5X on its latest firmware to downscale an image, I'm assuming a 480p signal to 15kHz 240p, and had some issues with a CRT that already had problems, and they were wondering for clues on that, or maybe if there was a danger issue for all that stuff, and I could only guess, because I'm not there to, to check it out and see it, but there's a few tips or suggestions or things that I could kind of give you to point you in the right direction. First, if you send the wrong resolution to a CRT, so let's say you send 480p to a CRT that only accepts 15 kilohertz, so 480i or 240p, if you do that for a second or two and the CRT makes noise and the screen goes a little nuts, you should be able to just turn it off or switch inputs. I like switching inputs because you don't have to constantly power cycle the CRT, but you should be able to just swap the input and everything's fine. It's one of those things where I can't imagine it's good for the CRT, but it shouldn't hurt it if it's just one of those, oh crap, wrong resolution, press the button type of thing. Now, I have heard people say that they sent a 1080p signal by accident into a 15 kilohertz only CRT and it killed it, but I've done that too a bunch of times. And while, once again, I don't think it's good, I don't think that would kill a CRT unless it was already very close to death, and this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I could be wrong, I don't have any scientific proof, but that's just a guess based on a whole lot of experience with messing with stuff like this. So, my guess about what's going on with the retro tank in your monitor is that it could just be that you already had a monitor with issues. And you mentioned that there's discoloration at the top of the screen, um, there's a glitched out line, and the screen goes bonkers, based on what's on screen. Some scenes are mostly fine, while others cause a ton of waviness. So it could be a couple of different things. I don't think Mike really finished the 240p downscaling aspect on the new firmware. And I mean that not from the functionality, but from the whole, you would want to save your profile to 240p so that when you boot it back up again, so, you know, it would, it would start in that resolution, which, you know, Every time there's a new feature, a giant new feature like this, there's going to be some bugs to be ironed out. So it is kind of a pain now that you would want to take your console, set it to 480p or 720p or whatever, your your PC, whatever signal that you have. Get that going into your retro tank on a flat panel. Make sure you have the input set. Uh, you make sure everything's ready, then set it to 240p, and then unplug the flat panel and plug it in your probably HDMI to component converter. And... You know, in that scenario, um, you know, it's kind of a pain, right? It's much easier to just get everything set up, hit save, and then fire it up. So I don't know if there's anything else going on there that could have added to it. I believe you could or downgrade firmware to older ones, so you could always try that to test. And if it is an issue with the latest firmware, I think Mike would really appreciate a heads up. I did test it in the live stream, but only on my flat panel, not on a CRT. So um, I, I wish I had time to do it right now because I would love to, but I I just have a pile of things I would have to move around just to get this all plugged in. Sorry about that. Um, 
so yeah, I think w- one of a few things might be happening, and this is just a guess, by the way, but your CRT could have already been at its very last leg, and then maybe you accidentally sent it a higher resolution, and it kind of just pushed it farther into the grave, or there's some issues with your RetroTINK, um, which could be firmware-related, which, once again, just try the older firmware and see if that helps, or it could be something completely and totally different. One of your cables is messed up. Something else in your chain is messed up. The HDMI to component converter is messed up. Those aren't the highest quality built devices, which is why you get them so cheap. So, you know, there's a lot of other factors in here. So, you know, I'm very sorry to spend five minutes telling you maybe, I don't know, what if, but I just wanted to to kind of point you in the right directions of troubleshooting and to also let everybody know that, you know, I I certainly wouldn't send 1080p into a CRT on purpose, but anytime I've sent the wrong resolution, as long as it was was only a second or two, I didn't have any long-term damage to the CRT. It just kind of made a bunch of crazy noises and, you know, I uh, switched the input or turned it off and that was it. So uh, I would love some technical info on exactly what's going on. If you try to send it a different signal like that though, but, um, you know, I just think, once again, just a guess, but I think with all of those PC VGA monitors from back in the day, the ones from the early 90s very often couldn't go to a very high resolution, and the ones from the early 2000s could. So if sending a resolution that was too high would kill monitors, all in the early 2000s, we would have been hearing about these monitors dying from it. So I don't know. Uh, it's just a guess, but um, good luck, and hopefully I was able to point in the right direction. Josh Clark has an AV Famicom they bought from Japan a few years ago, and they were thinking of getting one of those newer Triad AC adapters that Castlemania is stocking now, which I think is a great idea, by the way. The original Japanese one, or if it might even be a third-party Japanese one, it's probably not rated at US voltage, and even if it was, if it's a lower-quality power supply, that's never a good idea to use, especially on aging equipment. So Josh wanted to upgrade to the Triad to know that you know you could use it anywhere, if you get the international one or if you get the US one, it's perfectly safe. But they had a great question. They said on the AC adapter that came with their AV Famicom, it said 10 volt, 850 milliamp. And on the triad one, it says uh, 9 volt. So they want to know that, you know, why could you use a 9 volt triad on something that has already been used with a 10 volt one? And the answer is depends. So in the case of the AV Famicom, yes, because those consoles have not a wide tolerance, but a tolerance for what voltages can be sent to them. There's also different parts on the board uh, that take either 5 or 12 volts, not 5, 9, or 12 volts. There's different components on there to help that. That's what a lot of those DC to DC filtering things and, and different chips are on the board. So I would not say that with every device ever, but I would absolutely say that if it's on the Firebrand X website or if it's on Castlemania's website, that was checked by a lot of people, a lot of people far smarter than me. Um, and it was checked using equipment to measure as well as data sheets. So that's one of the times where I would say, you know, absolutely, yes, if it's on that list, do it. But I wouldn't just go experimenting with that. Like if you used a 9-volt power supply on a 5-volt Neo Geo, you're going to kill something. Um, and, you know, and vice versa. So that's the, the easiest way to answer your question is I would always be paranoid about power. 
However, when it comes to something like this, if it's on the list that's on any of those sites, and I just updated RetroRGB with a page from that too, which I'll link here for anybody curious, but if it's listed there, it's safe. The only thing that you do absolutely have to pay attention to is whatever pigtail adapter is required, and I might even consider gluing it on there if it's just going to be used for one one use. Uh, gluing the pigtail adapter onto the triad's end, not gluing it into the console. Sorry, <laughs> I hope that well, no one misunderstood that. Because um, I just think that is an easy thing to mistake, where you have two pigtail adapters that both fit in the same barrel, but one has the polarity reversed, that could be a problem. But as long as you use them as directed, as long as you make sure that everything's plugged in right, that's absolutely what I would recommend. And I'll make sure the link is down below for anybody that's interested. Atonal Assassin has a couple of consoles that they're playing on a consumer-grade CRT via composite video, but the CRT has kind of a crooked picture, and they were looking to replace it with something else. And they had a couple of different choices and wanted an opinion on what to do for their setup, and I think this is probably a similar thing that many people might run into. So I wanted to walk through the different options and just kind of uh, discuss why that might or might not be better for people under the different scenarios. So the question is, do they just get another consumer grade CRT and then get a RetroTINK Mini and then split the composite video signal through a powered splitter between, so that way they could output properly between the CRT and the RetroTINK Mini? Then of course the Mini goes through HDMI into a capture card and you could do what you want from there. So that is absolutely a perfect solution there's nothing, you know, there's nothing bad about that other than you would have to hunt down some kind of powered splitter or an RGB monitor that has composite in and out. That would be kind of cool if you could stumble across one of those. Uh, and if that was the case, if you had access to go buy a 13 or 14 inch RGB monitor with in and outs, I think I would try that first, just because even though it's composite video, it's still a higher line count and a better calibrated monitor, as long as it's in good condition, of course. And you might even be able to find one that doesn't support RGB for pretty cheap, so you could just continue to use it with composite and maybe even S-Video and go from there. So if you're a CRT fan and you want an easy solution, that's my probably my first choice, just because it's fun and neat, and you know I think you'd have a good time gaming that way. But if not, what do you do? Do you get another consumer-grade TV and try to find a powered splitter on eBay or something? That would totally and completely work, as long as it's a powered splitter that's designed to have two simultaneous video outputs at the same time. You should be able to find a bunch of them. I believe if you find one that works with component video, you could just put composite through the green, and that should work the exact same. Uh, so that's also a perfectly good solution. However, you already mentioned that you have a Dell Trinitron CRT monitor. So here's where it gets interesting, because if you have a few other parts lying around, you might be able to do this for, for very cheap or cheaper, depending on what's available to you. If you wanted to, you could take your consoles, put them into the RetroTINK 2X Mini, and then put that into an HDMI splitter. Send one to your capture card, and send one to an HDMI to VGA converter, and there you go. Now you have a VGA monitor playing a 240p signal because it's just being line doubled to 480p. That's a great solution, and if you already have a splitter and a, a DAC, a digital-to-analog converter like that, then you're done. That's all you would need to do. And it's also a fairly cheap solution, so it really depends where you live and what you have access to. And, you know, if there's a cheap one on Amazon or eBay... 
The only issue with that solution at all would be if you want, when you're gaming on that VGA CRT monitor, if you want it to look like it's a 240p monitor, you're going to have to turn on scan lines. However, if you turn on scan lines while streaming, it's probably not going to look that good. And that's the reason I wanted to talk this out and explain the whole scenario. Because even if you did have a couple of those converters laying around, you might not like the line doubled look on a CRT. Now, I think it's totally fine, but it's not the original look. And on top of that, you know, depending on how old your CRT is, uh, the scan lines may or may not work anyway. So that's just something to consider. But all of those adapters would work. Any of those things should work. And I would definitely just look for the cheapest powered dual output solution if you're going to go with another consumer grade CRT. But I'll leave links to a video I did about, uh, you know, old consoles on VGA monitors, as well as the link to the DACs that I use. And hopefully that puts everything in perspective for these different solutions. Andrew Fiore wanted to know if there were any modern alternatives to the Klein convergence gauges. I forgot what that was, so I'm reading off the Klein website right now, and as soon as I read it, it totally popped into my mind, and that might be happening to all of you right now. Uh, this small handheld optomechanical device is used to measure the convergence error between the lines of a CRT display. This sturdy, accurate tool is, is sufficient to obtain measurements that are invaluable to engineers, manufacturers, and quality inspectors. And they should probably add retro gaming freaks as well to the end of that. Uh, so that's a good question. That might be a better question for Steve from RetroTech. Uh, and you're, the last part of it is you're tempted to test a jeweler's handheld magnifying lens, but wanted to see if there are known alternatives. And that right there is the question that I'm going to probably tell you to go to Steve for, because I don't know if there's anything that makes that Klein gauge different. I mean, it could be, it could just be sh the glass shaped in a way where it's meant to be put up against the curved glass of a CRT. There could just be a bunch of small little, like, um, creature comforts in there that make it easier to use, but a jeweler's magnifying lens might be just as good, or there could be some, some actual technical reasons why you would not want to do that. So that is a good question. If anybody has the answer to this, uh, please feel free to share. And if not, you might want to head over to, to Steve's Patreon and bug him. Um, but it's a great question. And uh, sorry, I don't know the answer to that one. Redcrested Regal wanted to figure out a way to connect multiple analog consoles through either the DAC or LCD monitors. And it seems like they found a solution and it would have been the exact solution that I would have suggested anyway. And that's to use manual switches. So the reason you would want to do that is because when the analog consoles power up, they take a few milliseconds to scan what they're plugged into. And if it senses the DAC, it switches to 240p. And if it senses anything else, it defaults to either 480p or your last used resolution. So if you use a standard auto switch or even some of the ones that are push button, but they're digital, you might not have enough time because we're talking about milliseconds here. So you might not have enough time for the analog console to sense the DAC. So if you wanted to do it that way, um, you would have to have one or two switches, depending. Uh, Red Crested Briegel used two, and I would suggest that they were mechanical. Now, they found a mid-2000 switch, which could very well be mechanical. And what you would have to do is first select switch one on what console you're using. So let's just say the Mega SG. And then on switch two, you would have to select the DAC 
or the LCD monitor. And by doing it that way, it's exactly as if you have unplugged and replugged all the cables, but you're just using buttons to do so. Uh, and that seemed to work for them, and that seems like a perfectly good solution. So um, I think that is unfortunately the best you could get for that scenario. I don't think you could do anything else other than an expensive matrix switch, which that might be something where you could plug a whole bunch of ins, a whole bunch of outs, and as long as you set the switches before you power the console on, that should work as well. But that, you know, depending on the switch, it may or may not. Now, I have a matrix switch here that barely works, so I should probably take that out and test it one time uh, just to see, but I've had really bad luck with cheap matrix switches. So I think going the mechanical route is really a much easier way, but if you already have one where you could select the ins and outs with a remote control beforehand, definitely give that a shot. Just make sure to select the ins and outs before powering on the console. But I think mechanical switches would be the safest bet, or good, reliable matrix switches where you could have everything set before you power anything on. Uh, but if anybody else has any other solutions that they've used, I'm all ears. Or, heck, maybe even the two or three I have here are perfectly good, and I just got bum ones out of a batch or something like that. You never know. It's, it's I've, I've seen more impossible things than that. But good question, good solution, and uh, I'm interested to hear if anybody else has a solution they want to share as well. Tiago Santos said they've been wondering for a while why we don't yet have decent 4K upscalers for digital 720p and 1080p inputs. They work with FPGAs and implementing something like that sounds rather trivial when compared to the amazing things something like the RetroTank 5X is currently doing. The only limitation they could imagine exists is that maybe there are no affordable FPGA chipsets out there that could handle a 4K60 throughput, or is there something else they're missing? Nope, you nailed it. Uh, I am not smart enough to be an FPGA engineer, but I am friends with people who are, and I've bothered all of them many, many times with this question. And it is always very simply that the chips that could output 4K60, and that's the important part there, are, are so much more expensive than the other ones that they're using. To the point where I think, now this is a guess, so please don't quote me on this one, but I think... Mike could probably just take the RetroTank 5X and buy one of these other chips and for, you know, not a crazy amount of work compared to all the other work he's put in, have a 4K scaler. But instead of costing 300, it might cost 2000 or 2500. And I'm sure he'd sell 10 or 20 of them for all of the crazy people out there like me. I uh, couldn't afford that, but I would certainly love to borrow one to test. But I don't think the cost versus how many they would sell versus the time it would take to develop it. I think that right there is the problem and part shortage. So who knows if that one's available yet, but theoretically, yes, you're definitely able to do that. But hitting 4k 60, I believe is the problem. And I might be wrong about this, but I also think there are 4k chips out there that can go up to 4k 30, but that's kind of useless because even games like Sonic the Hedgehog that run at 30 frames per second, the entire throughput is still 60 frames. It's just being doubled. So even if you ran into that one scenario, you'd still be, it'd still be wrong and you'd still be selling, sending 4K30 to your TV, which in the very minimal testing I've done, you get a lot more lag than if you sent it 4K60. Um, and that's going to go down a whole other rabbit hole that I'll, I'll do a lag video soon to explain all that stuff. But I, I think you absolutely nailed it is it's just very simply the cost of 4K chips that could hit 60 frames a second. And with the part shortage, I don't know if we'll see that anytime soon. It might actually be five more years before we see that. 
I hope I'm wrong. I hope these companies are saying, all right, there's a part shortage, so let's just only focus on the, the best and the new and, you know, in our previous biggest sellers. And, you know, we're going to just discontinue all of these and we're going to come out with a, a more affordable 4K and a more affordable this. And I hope, I hope that's what happens, but I don't think so. So we'll see. Um, and maybe somebody could figure out some tricks. I've heard some people discussing different ways to do 4K60 by combining different things, and uh, I, I just that's way over my head of, and not something I'd be smart enough to answer. But maybe somebody's going to pull out a miracle and, and figure out a way to do that. But I just think that what you said is true and that there's just no affordable FPGA chip out now or probably anytime soon that could do that in the same way. The Remora is having trouble with their 32X. They said they're getting audio when they're using it with their Model 2 Genesis, but not the Model 1. So this could very well be an audio routing issue. And I did read your full question, but I didn't notice that listed or mentioned. So I would suggest that you watch the Genesis tips and tricks video that I did for a good visualization of this. I'll very quickly run through it now. I'm not going to just tell you to go watch a video, but basically the way... Genesis and 32X audio works is that the Genesis does most of the processing of the audio and even a lot of the video layers too. That gets sent through the 32X. The 32X adds its own layers on top of that and then that gets sent out to your TV. So if you don't use the proper adapters to route audio through, then you're not going to get the main set of audio that's coming from the Genesis. So that would be the easiest way to explain why your Model 2 just worked, because that pigtail that came with the 32X has all you need. And that would also explain why your Model 1 doesn't, because uh, if you did a triple bypass, maybe there's no mono audio running to the DIN. So now that would mean there's no audio running from the DIN to the 32X. You would have to pull it from the headphone port or from something else. So definitely check that video out. I will also link to my 32X page that explains the different kind of adapters and why. My favorite way is the way I explain in the video, which is you basically turn a Genesis 1 port into a Genesis 2 just by plugging something in, totally plug and play. I know you already did the mod, but just for anybody else that's curious. Um, and that way you just never have to worry about it again. There is some issues with voltage, so if you're using the HD Retrovisions, you'd want to make sure to get the exact right adapter and all of that stuff. But you said you have one on order from Retro Access, so that might be that might be your solution anyway. So maybe by the time I'm answering this, you've already gotten it. So uh, I'll leave links to all of that stuff in there. And you were also looking for alternative stores that are selling the X station. Um, respectfully, I'm going to answer half of your question. Uh, I'm going to leave a link to the last firmware update for the X station, because you're probably going to want that anyway. And that also has links to the stores that I, at least that I know of that are selling it. Um, the other half of your question, I'd like to address at a different time with a different person here. And I mean that with all the respect in the world to you, I just don't think it's my place to talk about that just by myself. So, uh, yep, I'll get you covered with all that stuff and uh, I'll try to follow up with the rest of that separately at some point. Logan said they've been having an issue with the Forever Pack from 4Layer Tech that when they plug it into their Brawler 64 wireless receiver, the connection to the controller drops. Then a, a couple of seconds after they take it out, the connection is reestablished. This happens regardless of the controller port, regardless of the number of times the Forever Pack is removed and reinserted. This does not happen with an original N64 memory pack. Do I have any idea what might be causing this? 
No, um, I got no clue. And uh, I would normally very politely just say, hey, I think you should contact the company directly. Looks like you already have. And uh, Gunner has been really helpful trying to trying to diagnose it with you, which is cool. And that's kind of what I've heard about that team as well. Um, you also said that Retro Fighter support has been unresponsive thus far. So uh, I figured I would talk about it here because I don't think you're going to get any help from Retro Fighters. So has anybody else run into that issue? And it's it could very well be as simple as if I have five people responding in these comments that say, no, I have both of those things and it doesn't work, just let, uh, you know, send four layer tech the, the link and they'll probably just tell you to send it back and send you a new one. It could just be a bum card. And if other people are having the issue, maybe we could kind of help figure out what it is. And it could very well be one of those things where the issue has nothing to do with four-layer tech, uh, but maybe they could find another solution around it. So while I normally don't want to talk about tech support for other companies, especially ones that are already responsive and helpful, I thought maybe I could just ask the community for help on this one because you might be able to help everybody in this scenario. And thank you, Logan, also for, you know, for just working with everybody and, and trying to diagnose this stuff because it's very easy for anybody. We're all human. It's very easy for us to get these things and be like, I bought these things and they don't work. Screw you, screw everybody else. I want my money back. And it's, it's very cool to hear that you're just taking the time to go, all right, well, these are smaller companies. These are niche products. Let's troubleshoot together. So thank you for doing that. Thank you to everybody who does that, by the way. And uh, if, if you have both a Forever Pack and a Brawler 64 wireless controller, maybe you could chime in and let us know what's going on with you as well. Oliver Clare said they're looking into getting an LG OLED CX TV, but they've stumbled across a couple of posts that say people are having trouble with 1440p 60. Supposedly 1440p 120 works, but if you try to send it 1440p 60, you get a no signal or it'll fall back to the previous resolution. Uh, I have not messed with one in a while, but a couple of my friends own them, and I have absolutely, personally, plugged in a RetroTINK 5X to one and run it in 1440p 60. Now, maybe something changed with the LG's firmware, maybe something on a RetroTINK's firmware, especially the newer one. You know, maybe Mike didn't have the ability to test that one specific resolution on that TV. I can't really account for every single scenario. Um, and I, I certainly, you know, if there's a lot of people saying there's an issue, maybe there, there's something to that. But the only thing I could tell you is that I have personally plugged in a RetroTINK 5X and tested 240p, 480i, and 480p, all being sent to 1440p. And the only thing I had to do is change the aspect ratio, which is expected because uh, of all the things Mike and I talked about in the live stream and in the write-ups and stuff like that. So that's the only issue I could possibly see. I don't know why anybody would getting uh, would be getting no signal. There is one possibility, though. It could very well be that a bunch of people have a bin of HDMI cables, and they've all just grabbed these cables, and it's something is not compatible with that. So in the scenario of it's compatible with 1440p 120, but not 60, that wouldn't be the HDMI cable. But there is a possibility that somebody has a really old HDMI cable that works fine at up to 1080p, but when you get past it, it goes crazy. Uh, that's, I wouldn't have guessed, but that is not impossible. And in fact, every couple of years, I'll go through my bins and whatever HDMI cables I haven't given away already, I very often will just, if I don't know exactly what it is, I'll just give them away to friends or drop them off at a game store or a Goodwill or something to just because 
you know, while I don't ever like to waste something, if we're talking about an $8 cable, if I'm spending a half hour trying to troubleshoot this exact problem and it turns out to be the cable, I'm going to be really pissed I didn't just spend another eight bucks. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm just providing an explanation as to why you could have stumbled across a thread and a bunch of people are saying it doesn't work and I'm saying it does. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would absolutely try it yourself. I would buy it from a place where you could return it. But I got to say, I've never seen the TV better than the LG OLEDs. I have not spent a lot of time with the Sony OLEDs. I've heard very good things about those. Um, but I have seen a ton of other TVs that are supposedly almost as good or pretty much as good or whatever else. And it, there's just, I've never seen anything that looked quite as good as that. Uh, I just, I like everything about them. And I, I think it would be worth giving a shot, even if you have to lug it back to the store, if it doesn't do it for you. But I mean... One thing you might want to check is try it first, then update the TV's firmware and try it again and, and see. Um, I'm not sure if LG will let you downgrade or anything, but it's it's certainly worth experimenting a little bit, especially right away. So if you do have to bring it back, you can. But I just I think if you were already on the fence of spending that much money on a TV, it's worth trying. If you didn't want to drop that much money on a TV, you could spend 250 bucks and get a perfectly good, super low lag TV that, that you'll enjoy, but it's not going to look even remotely close to the same. So, uh, you know, I don't mean to twist your arm into OLEDing here, but uh, I, I would get, be patient and give this one a try because I think you'll be very happy with the results if it works. Blue Rigel 81 said they're interested in getting that Tower of Power PSU I talked about recently, but now that they're getting a Mega SD and MSD EXP adapter, they're planning to mostly use those instead of their real Sega CD and only keep the Genesis and 32X hooked up most of the time. They're considering using this power supply for that setup and then just have one of the plugs not connected to anything unless they feel like switching over and messing with their real Sega CD sometime. Do I know if there would be any issues using this product that way? No, but there are a few things to note about that. First of all, I always make sure to tell people that if you have two or an, an amperage that's higher than what you need, that's totally fine. So if you end up with like a 3.5 amp PSU and you only really need a 2 amp, that's totally, totally fine. There's no issues with that. You're not sending more power down the line. It's just there if the products need to pull it. So uh, as far as power goes, that's totally fine. The only thing I would consider doing is just making sure that there's nothing metal. Um, so when you have the extra power supply cord just kind of dangling there, like right now, everything I have is still on wheel racks because I'm still used to, you know, living in a two by two foot area. So like this table right here is a metal rack. I have another one right there. I have the big metal rack that I have all of my CRTs on. So if I was going to do that, I would probably just put some plaque tape over the end of one of them until you're using it. You probably wouldn't need to, but that's one of those things where how much is a one inch piece of black tape going to cost, right? So um, that would be it. I mean, I, I, there's certainly nothing power wise to worry about. You're not going to overpower anything. The voltages also always or would match all of those components. Um, it's really just, you know, making sure that you're, you're not hitting anything else. But if you're on a piece of wood or a piece of plastic and, you know, and like a lot of people use those Ikea shelves go right ahead, leave that power dangling right there on the wood or even touching the console. If it's touching the plastic part, you have zero to worry about whatsoever. So excellent question. And I'll leave a link to that in case anybody else is interested. Well, that's it for this week. 
If you're new to these Q&As, ask any question you have wherever it is that you support. But the way these support services work, I can't figure out what's a new question on an old post. So just go to the newest Q&A post and ask your question there. And if for whatever reason I don't answer it, it's always either because it came in after I started recording or because of a mistake afterwards. I don't delete questions or anything like that. So uh, if that happens, either DM me if it's important or just ask in the following weeks and I'll get to it when I can. But as always, thank you so much to everybody who supports in any way possible because you're keeping all of this stuff going. Uh, and let's look forward to hopefully a cool 2022 with a bunch of new products maybe finally coming out if the part shortage ever slows to an end. So thank you all so much and I'll see you soon.